Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Good morning and welcome to Out With Dan. Today I'm so excited to talk to Robert Gwaltney about his wonderful book, The Cicada Tree. Welcome, Robert. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. I've been seeing all these wonderful accolades you've been getting, and I know exactly why. Thank you. It, you know, this is my debut novel, um, so I am, you know, before it went out into the world, you know, there, there's that moment of panic that, oh my gosh, people <laughs> are actually going to read this book. <laughs> and it's like, it's like delivering a child into the world. It is. And you want everyone to think that your child is beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> and we know in real life, sometimes that's no. not the case, but no. you delivered a beautiful child. So congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Being Southern as well, I hear so much of the rhythm of the South and a sing-song voice, not necessarily a back and forth, but a continual rhythm that resonates with the earth. Uh, is that something you set out to do? I certainly, I, I, I admire writers who, whose um, work possesses a lyrical quality. I've always been drawn to that. And um, it's something that I love, and it's something that I love to attempt to accomplish on the page. So it, it, it was intentional. You know, there, there are music things throughout the cicada tree. Uh, I listened uh, obsessively to Moonlight Sonata throughout uh, the writing of the book. And, you know, within the cicada tree, I reference Cordelia Sonata, and who is the matriarch of the wealthy family that Annalise, the protagonist, is obsessed with. And so basically Cordelia Sonata is Moonlight Sonata. And what I tried to do, Dan, so the cicada tree is in three, um, three um, acts mm -hmm. and Moonlight Sonata is in three movements. So I tried to pace the novel within each of those acts with the pacing of Moonlight Sonata. I love that. I love that. And I love the lyricism of sound in your book. Sound is so ingrained from page one to the last page. And it is something that I'll share with you that I grew up in North Carolina and I know what cicadas sound like, but I didn't know what they were. And so I was back in North Carolina in July and I was reading your book and I had, you know, sort of studied what they were. And I realized this noise or sound I'd heard my entire childhood was cicadas. And I did not know that. But the lyricism of that simply comes through. And it's not only cicadas, but it's the appearance of lightning bugs and other things in nature that I think you just did such a great job with. Was lightning bugs something else that excited you? Oh, yes, in a way. I mean, there, there's something very magical about the of, of that throbbing light of the of the um, of lightning bugs, um, and growing up with them, of course, they were pervasive in in the South, and um, 
they're lovely. And it certainly was a wonderful literary element to be able to play with. I, I liked it too, because I think that it, it also flows through to your characters and how we see them as lights and how we see them as sound. And that just came through so much. And the beautifulness between Miss Wessie and Mom and how the and Grace and how these characters play out with such loving reverence for each other. Was I that came across on the page? Yeah. Yes. I, I wanted their that there were um their their problems afoot, you know, within that family. Um you know, the protagonist is Annalise Newell, who's eleven. Her her mom is Grace and her father's name is is Claxton and is some drinking issues. And for the most part of the beginning of the novel, Annalise thinks that um, life is pretty good with the exception of the fact that she doesn't understand this rift that's occurred between her mom and dad. And I, it was very important to me to be able to tell a story of women, you know, to celebrate mm -hmm. the Southern mm -hmm. women that I've known in my life. And so I did want to be uh, very intentional and take great care when, when I write those women's characters, specifically the relationship that you were just speaking of. And, and Miss Wessie is a is an older black woman who comes to live with, with the Newell family after um, Annalise's father dies. And that's not really a spoiler. Um, <laughs> I, I, we, we advertise early on that, that the father goes away. But I, I treated Miss Wessie, you know, with, with the love and respect that I would treat and have treated my grandmother's. I so I pick up on that and I love that she brings wisdom to the table she brings life experience to the table there are things that we learn in life that we bring with us and Miss Wessie brings not only life's experience but love and it's some pure love and she brings some sternness as well and I recognize that in so much of the women I saw growing up no matter of their race they brought some wisdom to the table and when they brought love and some sternness and discipline, that was good as well. Exactly. You know, all of the women in the book have or, or the, the main characters and, and primary secondary characters <laughs> do, do possess something special about them. There is some supernatural element or gift that they all possess. And, and uh, Miss Wesley's, as you just said, is indeed wisdom. Yes. I totally agree. Having grown up um, sort of, I would say, in the the economic realm of Annalise, uh, maybe a little bit ahead of that, but not so far ahead of it, there were always people, try to make sure I make this correct. So there were people who possessed gifts. There were people who knew that other people possessed gifts. And some people liked that a lot, and some people did not like that a lot. I love the fact that in the cicada tree, you brought characters with gifts, inherent gifts that they inherited um, from being born, and they bring these gifts with them. I loved the fact that Grace could read things, and it's nice to see that celebrated in a book. Thank you. Yeah, so Grace, who's Annalise's mother, uh, possesses the ability to see the future in the stitches that she sews. And it's uh, um, it's a gift that she's possessed since she was a girl. Mm -hmm. 
my mom worked in the shirt factory and um, there was a woman whose arm was burned very badly. And there happened to be a fellow at this shirt factory whose gift was talking out fire. And as strange as it may seem, he came to this woman who was burned badly and he held her arm and he talked the fire out of her. And by a few days, her arm was completely healed. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, that's all, you know, it's all wives tales and stuff like that. But there are people who possess gifts and I celebrate those people. And I appreciate the fact that you celebrated those in this book as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I am a very open minded individual and I like to think that there are individuals who possess gifts. There are miraculous things that exist in this world that we just can't explain. That's right. And I mean, there are people who can tell the future, can see into the past, and there are charlatans out there. There really are. And <laughs> and as Ringland says, you know, there's a fool born every day. And then I like to say there are two people to take advantage of the fool. So <laughs> I like that. Yes. I just love, of course, the fact that the book is set in the South. Um, and I like that because that's where I'm from. I like reading about other places, but I did like that. I was struck by something that I will call electricity, that I find that that too runs throughout the entire book, whether it's the people, the weather, the, the land. Uh, I really appreciate that. Did you grow up in a place that was very electric? Yes, I, I, I believe that there's, there's something unique about the climate in the South that lends itself to that electricity, that crackle that, that nature brings. Um, I, the the uh, town that the novel takes place in is fictitious. I call it Providence, Georgia. But it's probably on or around geographically where I grew up uh, in, in Cairo, Georgia, a small town in southwest Georgia in Grady County. And I find the same thing. I remember growing up in North Carolina that before an electrical storm, you know, the weather changes when you have an electrical storm. It often is from being very hot to cooling down or vice versa. And that's what sort of brings electricity. But you can feel it. It is something that is, it's not just you hear the thunder in the distance. You can feel the electricity if you're attuned to it. And of course, that electricity gives your book such excitement because you capture that so well and it's enjoyable. Thank you. Did you grow up in a clapboard house? I did not. I did not, but I um, I, I knew people who did. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that my existence was, I mean, early on, you know, I, I'm the oldest of four boys. So when my mom and dad were just starting out, of course, I mean, I, I know that there wasn't a lot of money, but I would say overall, I grew up in a fairly comfortable middle-class existence. But like Annalise, I was always fascinated with um, those individuals that I thought possessed glamour. You know, when, you're, <laughs> when you're a Southern boy, you know, like me, who, um, uh, who, who had interests that certainly weren't typical for the regular Southern boy, um, I, I was always looking for, for glamour, not really realizing until later that I really was surrounded by a sort of beauty all those years. 
I agree. I think having been away from North Carolina for quite some time now that I, when I return, I do see its beauty. If I, especially if I take a chance to slow down a little bit, you know, if you're running from point A to point B, it's hard to see that sometimes, but there is a beauty to that, um, that I think that some writers capture and you're certainly one of those. If this is the debut novel, I can only imagine what all the rest of them will be like. Thank you, I appreciate that. Absolutely. So I just, it's funny because I was, I was looking at a lot of different things and realizing the voices that I heard. I was so, I was impressed by, you gave Abel such a reverence for people. And I remember having grown up, you know, lots of times the South is portrayed as being one class or another, one race or another, and that there's no getting along. I called everyone Mr. and Miss growing up. It didn't matter who they were. If they were 20 years older than I was, that was something my mother said, you have to put a handle on them being a Mr. or Miss. And I, I picked up on that. I picked up on the fact that Miss Wessie, uh, when Abel was talking to Eli, he would say, yes, sir. Those are respectful things that I do appreciate that you incorporated. Thank you. I mean, I, I grew up similarly. You know, my, my, my grandmothers, my mom, we, we, um, we always called everyone uh, Miss and, or Mr. It was just a common courtesy. You know, it's interesting. Times have changed so much. You know, there's this awareness of this spectrum of of gender and and sexuality so you do so we have to be a little bit cautious these days and it's a hard habit for me to break i still want to call people mr and miss it just it comes it's it's inherent so it's, it's hard it's hard to make that transition it is and, and you bring up a very valid point you know we were raised to be respectful of people who were older or people in a position and i find myself constantly saying yes ma'am and yes sir and no ma'am no sir whatever the occasion is and then i have to sort of catch myself and say you know how does this person want to be addressed and i'm i'm hoping that if i'm not familiar with you that if i make a faux pas it's forgiven but i do try because we do want to be inclusive we do right? absolutely at least the two of us do anyway we do. We do. <laughs> and i would never want to offend anyone on purpose and I, and I do hope that people will um allow individuals opportunities to make mistakes oh i agree secrets is something that is um all through the cicada tree what would you say that you think um the outcome of secrets is so i, I guess i'll also lay the foundation so for the the cicada tree um I took a natural occurring event, the cicada, and I created a mythology. Um, and there's this sense that with the cicada, you know, it's nymphs, they live under the earth for a very long time and they're listening um, and they're paying attention to um, what's going on above and they're listening, they're eating secrets and they're eating lies. And they're just waiting for that moment where they can make their way to the surface and they can sing out those secrets and right wrongs. I think that secrets, of course, um, are a great source of conflict in a novel um, in real life as well. Unfortunately, sometimes keeping secrets doesn't doesn't bode well in the end for individuals. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes for interesting reading. 
It makes for really interesting reading. And it makes for interesting reading in my estimation because we all have had at least one secret in our life. Most of us yeah. have had plenty. And we've also known the secrets of others. Exactly. You know, when you're um, a young gay person growing up in, in rural South Georgia, um, yeah, I was a boy of the 70s and a teenager of the 80s. So that for me, you know, I always felt like I was, you know, carrying a big secret all those years. Things have changed quite a bit, of course, um, yes. for the better for young people. Um, so I, but, but there is a, um, an element of lonesomeness and fear when you're keeping a secret, a secret that uh, could upend your existence. Absolutely. And I find that having grown up in a small town or village, I like to refer to it as, um, the secrets of the village uh, are known by some people. Um, some people don't know the truth. Some people know a lie that's been perpetrated and they keep it as a secret and some people keep it as a weapon. And of course, that is something that all good books that involve secrets, that becomes a weapon. And how we react to that weapon, uh, that's something that we see quite a bit in the cicada tree is that there are secrets. Some of them are just simply kept inside and some are used for a weapon. It makes for great reading. I agree. I, 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 and I think that that's what I love most about the Southern Gothic or Southern fiction in general, that there's always, you know, there's this perceived veneer and beneath mm -hmm. the veneer um, is where the truth lies. And I will say for, uh, for the listeners that, you know, we Southerners are very, very fortunate that we celebrate our Gothicness, our Southernism. Whereas I think that the exact same things that we experience are experienced all over the world. It's just that we happen to write about it with such, uh, such romanticism. And that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there's Midwestern Gothic. Um, so, you know, you can find elements of the Gothic anywhere, but what makes Southern Gothic so unique is that it's just the very backdrop, the um, place is such a significant character in, in Southern fiction. It's just the sheer beauty of the place and at times, you know, the oppressiveness of the yes. climate which yes. lends itself to conflict and tension. <laughs> it does indeed. And it brings, it brings out the humanity of where we're from. The South gets a hard knock and some of it, the South has earned every hard knock it gets, mm -hmm. but there are so many wonderful people in the South who don't always participate in all of the horrible things. So it's nice, it's nice to see in a book a great mix because yep. you bring humanity and you, you there's not only the right and the wrong, the positive and the negative, it is it is a telling of the entire group of people. So good job. Thank you. So besides all this wonderful, all these wonderful accolades, you're a, a busy man in other ways as well with the Easter Seals and you're a, 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 an editor. Is that right? Is it Blue Mountain Review? Yes. So I, I was very fortunate to work with the Blue Mountain Review as her editor for a while. I Because of the cicada tree schedule and because I'm working to gear up to write another book, I, I did transition out of those duties and responsibilities. But it yeah. was a wonderful, wonderful experience to be on the other end, to be the individual who actually is the gatekeeper and who has the opportunity to make publication decisions and selections. 
Wonderful. So you are in the process of a second novel or you finished a second novel? I'm at the very beginning of, of a second novel, but I have a fully realized vision of what I want the book to be. And it, it will be Southern Gothic with elements of magical realism. It'll take place in 1931 on a, um, on an isolated Georgia coastal barrier island I'm calling Good Hope. And it will be told in first person from the perspective of a 14 year old girl named Leontine Sky. I love it. I love it. It's nice to hear somebody be sure of what they got coming out. I love that. Do you have a website or social media you would like to share? Yeah, so you can, if you would like to learn a little bit about me and also access my, my social media, Facebook and Instagram, you can do so by uh, visiting robertlgwaltney.com. Perfect. I love it. I love it. I have had such a great time and I thank you so much for joining me, Robert. This has been wonderful. Once again, the book is called The Cicada Tree. I highly recommend it. It is so delicious. Thank you, Diane. And I look forward to the next novel too. So, you know, chop, chop. <laughs> Hang on for me just a minute. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us with Out With Dan. See you soon. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at Go Out With Dan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.